Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. This is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. Well, how are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a hammer. Oh. Yes. I've never felt like a hammer before. You haven't. I don't but... think we've had you as a hammer, no. <laughs> Today's guest's new exhibition, which is in Santa Fe in New Mexico, has inspired me to feel this way. And it took me back to my teenage years when I was studying uh, theatre, as you well know, Russell. And mm. who were my favourites? Can you remember? Arto, <laughs> Theatre of Cruelty. Yeah, Antonin Arto, exactly. Yeah. So I was really into him, but I was also uh, into another kind of line of thought to do with theatre, which was Bertolt Brecht. Mm. And there's an amazing quote, which is, art is not a mirror held up to reality, but a hammer with which to shape it. And it's such a brilliant thought for all mm. of us to think about the power of art. And I've always believed in my heart of hearts that art has the power to change the world. And even if it's just in, you know, in a kind of very intimate way, like between the artwork and the, the viewer in individually kind of uh, way of changing hearts and minds I really believe it does have a power to change and today's guest has um, through her art for you know the last kind of 15 years or so been in my consciousness and has become a kind of major figure in the way that I think about uh, contemporary art. She's always at the forefront of making incredible films, incredible sculptures, um, incredible like immersive installations, yeah, and performances, but also with NFTs. Like um, she was a kind of pioneer in a way of NFTs and raising money to, to uh, bring about social change. She's been a kind of really bold voice um, within politics, you know, against the kind of the Kremlin and uh, even went to prison under that regime and um, has kind of come out the other side just with incredible positivity and uh, really creative production that is making the world a better place and I am so proud to stand alongside so much of the art community that has been standing in solidarity with our guest with Pussy Riot the band and art performance group that she is uh, a leading figure of you know people like Judy Chicago uh, Marina Abramov even Madonna, um, Ai Weiwei, Wei Wei. yeah, so many people have stood up um, in solidarity with her, and we do too. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art the one and only Nadia Tolakonikova. <laughs> Hi, Nadia. Hello. How are you doing? Really good. Thank you for joining us. I know you've had, Thank um, you so much. You know, been a bit unwell recently, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you're okay and in good spirits. <laughs> I'm always in good spirits. I didn't have another choice. Yeah, we love that. Um, while, while we Rob was talking about uh, you in the introduction then, you were having all your morning stretches, you were running around the room and twisting your neck out and everything. Is that, is that a daily regime that you do? I'm not really big on affirmations. Um, I think the part of the world where I'm from is known for a pretty grim outlook on life. But it kind of works because you expect the worst to happen and then when something good happens, you're just like, oh, wow, my God, I'm so lucky. And then it turns out there's like it, it really inverted and twisted positivity. And stretches, yes. Um, I just really seriously um, love them. I think <laughs> I don't do it all the time, but I, I genuinely feel like um, having good physical routine is important for uh, for everyone, especially for an activist, because I personally struggle with mental health issues and I found that physical activity really helps. 
So we, we said in the introduction, you're part of Pussy Riot. I'm sure everybody in the world knows of Pussy Riot. And it's a, a Russian feminist protest art collective. So why, when was Pussy Riot formed and why the name Pussy Riot? How did you, <laughs> how many other titles did you have? Did you come across many other ideas before you settled on Pussy Riot? And it was the first one. Um, so it happened prior to Pussy Riot. I also was a founding member of a group, a performance art collective that's called Voina, Voina, the war, and it was the war against Putin, against his authoritarian patriarchal regime, and very importantly, art institutions that were complacent to his regime. It was early 2000s and artists mostly were just enjoying incredible influx of money and glam that um, Russia um, Russia saw, and not because Putin is like this this genius economic leader, simply because oil and gas prices were incredibly high. So um, I didn't love it because I, I come from um, the tradition, I guess, partly Russian avant-garde, utopian thinking, um, somehow political involvement. Um, so there was this um, art collective that we worked um, on for four or five years prior to Pusseret. Then Boina turned rogue. Um, some members exposed themselves as misogynists. And, well, think about it, it's like a while ago, first and second, it's Russia. So it didn't really surprise anyone except me and my friend Kat, um, who were ghastly to believe that this is fine, this is normal. And they, like our collective members told us that there is no such a thing as a great um, woman artist and everyone's like oh yeah yeah it totally makes sense and and then me, me and Kat would just walk away and be just like well what kind of doesn't like, we have a lot of a lot of cases that prove uh prove otherwise and so me and her ended up splitting with Voina and it this process took a long time because imagine work on something for years you're co-founder so and also you're 21 so almost your entire adult life um you spent with this collective so well luckily our um ex-members really made it easy for us because they were extremely scandalous and <laughs> we're just and ended up screaming at us and just fighting with each other like they, it was a it was a couple who were fighting with each other and like this guy who was three times bigger than his wife was jumping on her, beating her. So oh my God. I didn't want to be anywhere. How many, how many of you were there at this point in the collective? Um, it was a collective that initially started by four people. Then another key member joined. It was Kat with who we ended up um, making Pussy Red. So as it, as it happens, you have core members who are core simply because they contribute more. Um, it's not because they have like some sort of <laughs> some sort of diploma of being core members. It's just um, it just happens. So um, because they're basically we were the only ones who were doing it full time. 
everyone else would just join us for specific performances if they liked them. Um, and so we started Pussy Riot um, kind of because of a joke that I'll tell you about later, but it was prepared by this whole atmosphere of misogyny and domestic violence that we witnessed and we couldn't do really anything with it because, you know, we, we, we tried to help them, but there, there was nothing we could do. Really, unfortunately, um, they ended up rejecting us, both of us, and um, the woman who was, um, from our point of view, abused in these relationships ended up turning against us and thinking that we are the villain figures. Um, so we walked away and for a while we were doing actions uh, under the same name. So we had two Voinas at the same time. And characteristically, um, when those guys moved to St. Petersburg, they've done an action that is extremely beautiful, but very telling about who they are. They made one of the greatest actions of our times, but kind of celebrating patriarchy. <laughs> so they erected a huge penis in front of the FSB building in Russia, which was extremely beautiful, which I, I really think is one of the best um, straight actions, but the fact that it was penis, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, 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 we have to, we have to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so um, we did some um, some performances um, under the same name. Like, for example, we kissed police women on the street um, and we wanted to... It was Kiss a Pig, wasn't it? The Kiss a Pig uh, kiss the police, performances. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you would, you would kiss female police officers on the metro or you'd find them on the subway and then w would you kiss them and run away? Was it quite a, a provocative thing to do? Would you film it? How would that work? We filmed it with a... Um, a hidden, um, hidden camera, and our idea was to turn them into princesses. You know the story about the frog, right? Right. Kiss, kisses her. It was the time when um, Putin was still in power, but we had like this dummy president Medvedev, and he was trying to make police reform. His reform was just in switching the name from militia to police. That's it. So nothing else changed. Corruption, violence, everything stayed. So I guess for the context of performance, you need to understand also what was happening prior to that because it can sound extreme, violating someone else's private space. But for the context, cops were going absolutely insane um, two years prior to that. So they were murdering people, um, on streets, there was just like there, there was this um, major Yevsikov who um, um, did a mass shooting in a in a, in a supermarket, um, and well, maybe if you listen to this from the United States of America, it won't surprise you because unfortunately it happens quite a lot in Russia. It doesn't um, because luckily not everyone can um, carry around guns which I think is a very smart move, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, and cops would commit murder, tortures almost every single day. There were um, activist calendars created in which you can click the day and see what, um, what kind of 
um, acts of violence were committed by the police that day. So the atmosphere in Russia was really against police and people were burning police cars. Really unusual for Russia because in Russia you can really go to jail for years. It's not like Paris. Uh, it's it's considered a terrorist act and people are just afraid to do it. Understandably so. Um, and so everyone wanted to kill cops. And we said, well, let's try to show them love and see if that if, if we can, through love, we can um, make them better. So with this perspective, you understand why kissing, um, kissing a police woman is still kind of better than killing her. Um, yeah, so that, that's what we've done. How many? How many did you? How many police women did you kiss? And what were the reactions like? Were they were they normally quite um, taken aback in a nice way, or were they threatened by you? Um. Well, we weren't we weren't violent about it, so they were just they were thinking that we probably just weirdos, um, and they would just <laughs> go around their day after the encounter. A um, couple of them um, were upset, and they brought us to to the police station. Um, and then I <laughs> I encountered this woman who I didn't like the fact that it was um, a same sex kiss. She said, "If if a boy kissed me, I would be completely fine." But I didn't like that your girl kiss kiss me. They call okay, and, and then she put me on the bench with a police guy. Um, and he said, oh, here's Kostya, he's single, so you can kiss him. I was like, no, thank you, I don't want to kiss men. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, we were arrested a couple of times, but nothing um, nothing super serious. And uh, some of them enjoyed it, like one of them brought me to like a hideout place, and I'm thinking she's going to arrest me, uh, but she asked me, why did I do it in public? And can we just do it in <gasps> private? Oh my God! So she wanted to make out with you. That was wow, wow! Was, what a, what an amazing, like, incredible responses from all of them. So different and so fascinating. I mean, that must have been. And, and is that an actual film that we people can see? One can see. You can see it, yeah, on YouTube. Great. All right. It's really interesting as well because you you mentioned there your your kind of um material there like the medium is almost is almost uh, the actual medium itself is love and i i find that so powerful because for me that's what stood out since the beginning of me understanding about your music about your performances even about your arrest when you ended up you know being incarcerated but like it, everyone has turned a lot of your actions, which only at the core have positivity, actually, and joy, and also mischievous, fun, all these things. But actually, I, I know, of course, you're, you're standing against the patriarchy, you're standing against Putin, but, but within it all is actually a love for other people. It's trying to bring people together, if anything. But I find it so fascinating that that is the most dangerous thing in the world. You know, it's like you're now on the most wanted list, you know, in Russia recently, which must be such a bizarre thing for you to to, to think you're on the 10 most wanted people in Russia for essentially saying, why can't we love each other? It is funny to be on that list. Um, I'm honoured. Um, I'm honoured and I'm also on um, a, um, this foreign agent list. Right, right. <laughs> what, what was your reaction when you heard that? Because that was earlier this year, wasn't it? 
um, they put me on um, the most wanted list in the beginning of the year, uh, and it happened because of Putin's ashes. Um, so the reason was Putin's ashes, the total installation and performance. But interestingly enough, they um, they always they always prosecute me for going against Putin, but they always try to seem like it is about something else. Yeah. So they found an um, older artwork of mine that is called Virgin Mary, Please Become a Feminist. And they charged me with uh, a Pusseret law. They, they created the Pusseret law after we got arrested, but none of us were ever charged with this law, so I'm the first one. So 10 years from creating Pusseret law, they finally charged a member um, of Pusseret with Pusseret law. It's... Um, something vague about hurting religious feelings, blasphemy. Uh, and the official reason is uh, because I drew um, Virgin Mary in the shape of vulva on my court papers. And that's enough. It's just wild, isn't it? And for the listeners who don't know, can you explain about Putin's ashes? Because this is a major installation and it's had different iterations over the past um, year. I think, didn't you show with Jeffrey Deitch as well? But you're also now, yeah, and you're now showing until the end of July um, in Santa Fe. I, I feel bad. I started to ramble and didn't ask, answer your previous question. Let me tell you in 30 seconds, briefly. Okay, okay, yeah. So, I mean, don't we all love to complain about sexism and misogyny when we have a chance so <laughs> <laughs> yes this is really the origin of Pusseret. it's just me and my friend Kat walking around the city complaining about this stuff for hours and hours so i have experience <laughs> but um dry facts um we were asked to make a lecture about feminism we said we we're going to deliver a lecture about punk feminism in russia night before, realized that there is no punk feminism in Russia, we have to create it. We created our first song a few hours before the lecture, during the night, and then we presented it at our lecture as a work of art creation by someone else. We said it's uh, an anonymous collective um, that is from Nizhny Novgorod, the city of, in Russia. We didn't know them, we found them on the internet. It sounded terrible, but we didn't care because we wanted to present the concept. Then realized that we have to stick with it um, because it's just too good to be abandoned. Pussy Riot came from Riot Girls movement um, and also we really loved Curly Girls. And then we wanted to bring it to the extreme. So um, pick something derogatory that describes um, describes a girl, some say pussy, and we called it Pussy Riot. And also we wanted to combine um, something feminine, traditionally seen as soft um, and I mean, not not dangerous. Uh, some people would say even coveredly. They describe people as pussy if they think they're covered and right, just the opposite of that. And this love for contrasts stayed with us through the ages. <laughs> and Putin's ashes. Putin's Ashes was started um, in August of uh, 2022 and it was a response to the political climate because we, our material, our primary material, raw material, 
is not <laughs> paints or brushes, whatever. It is <clears throat> it is political climate, it's political events. Um, and it's a group of um, women from Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. A few of them are Ukrainian war refugees, came together to show acute hatred and resentment towards Vladimir Putin. We performed rituals. <clears throat> we burnt um, ritually a giant portrait of Vladimir Putin, knowing that he is extremely superstitious. I wouldn't say he's religious in a Christian way, but he really believes in spirituality, rituals, and, and he's afraid of that. He, he was uh, jailing a shaman uh, who was... Um, who was just like making uh, a shaman in Russia who was uh, making prayers to get rid of Putin. And so we decided to, oh, we did a prayer. They put us in jail for two years. Anyway, that, that ass is really superstitious. So we decided to turn it against him and use witchery to end his regime. And then I collected, I uh, bottled um, Putin's ashes and um, added another layer to this whole Putin's ashes situation created um, artworks, um, relics, um, almost like in Christianity you have, you know, part of the ass of the saint or like the nail that, that went into Jesus' hand. So those relics are cherished, they're really important. So we created these relics of our own um, Vika, if you wish, religion and created this total installation around them. They debuted it in um, Jeffrey Dyche Gallery in LA, and also the opening happened to be um, the biggest protest against Vladimir Putin in LA by date. Mm. <laughs> and the, the ashes themselves are from a burnt image of of Putin's image so it's this it's this idea that he's within those ashes like he really is like his his actual the image that we all see within the media as well I, I work a lot with magical thinking I don't know a lot of people nowadays don't like it now what is the most magical thinking <laughs> magical thinking I think is everything I think well there's this school of thought that says that the um performance artist is a new shaman or uh, a priest, if you wish, because we we want to believe in something as humans, um, and if we if organized religions don't don't work out for us, and they they clearly don't, um, we we should create our own you know, sets of rules and thinking and beliefs and rituals, and, and you know they're not total like organized religion. Like I'm not going to kill anyone if they don't believe in me. Um, and luckily, I don't have this power and this this wish. So, this experiments within the um, art sphere really, really not non threatening, unlike the organized religion. Wow, wow, wow! When so uh, the technicalities of so this feels like a happening when you did the performance and you burnt it and everyone turned up. But the technicality, the technicalities of bringing something like that together and the coordination and also it's a risky performance i guess it's something that people want to keep secret how do you logistically make these things happen how do you actually like as a like work as a hive mind when i'm sure you can't all be together at the same time it all um 
sounds incredibly easy in comparison to things that we um, did it and or tried to do before. One of my favorite things that never happened was, um, and I think at some point I need to make an exhibit of just um, actions that never happened because it's mm. technically impossible to make it. Um, it was an action that was called Putin Starts Riots. And um, it was 2012, and uh, no, it was 2011. Um, and it was the time when this mass appraisal was um, starting in Russia. It was really a year when it was possible to remove Putin from power peacefully, unlike now. And we, um, we prepared this giant, uh, like materials for giant forest. It was um, like this, this, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to try to explain it. <laughs> My English is not good enough. Like a pyre, but, like you built all the stuff so you could set it on fire. You, that's you right. Like a bonfire. Yeah, yeah. But they were um, mobile. So they, oh, they were floating, right? This in shape, and um, they were said to be six meters tall, and there were six of them. So they would surround Kremlin and the Red Square, and we prepared this action for two months. So we were learning what kind of material will um, will be better at burning, what what um, what liquid we should use. Anyway, um, it was a really meticulous procedure. Um, long story short, we ended up getting busted. Um, it was like all security forces of Russia. Um, <gasps> and when we came with um, all of these constructions to the Red Square, um, somebody ratted us out. And it was oh. extremely annoying because we had to just go to the forest and bury those things because there was no way we could um, make this action happen. So... In comparison to what we did or tried to do, um, Putin's ashes is is not as difficult. Um, I guess what was important for me this time, because you don't work as you used to do with with, with so much danger. You do it in the desert, so it's it's not as threatening. Then I had to... I guess danger for me came from another side. So people, I didn't want people to perceive it as an act of entertainment, A, and B. Yeah, I didn't want them to think that it's a music video shoot or something. Um, So I spoke with people one-on-one to make sure that they really think about it as a performance act, as an action. And did they bring intentionality, not of the party, but of getting rid of Putin with them. So everyone who who was suspected of bringing this um, different intentionality were cut out from the picture. <laughs> is, that, is that what keeps you going, Nadia? Is this real drive and passion to bring Putin down and... And how do you keep going? Because you mentioned when we was at the beginning about mental health and obviously you've been under so much pressure, but you do keep going. Your activism is at the forefront. It drives you. Where, where does that drive come from and how do you keep going? What is it? It's not just Putin. Uh, I think it, it, it's important to for me, for my mental health, to realize that um, I have bigger goals. So one of the things that um, really helps me with mental health is utopian thinking. 
and utopian not, thinking. Is this, utopian. The, is this the same as magical thinking, but just a bit bigger? <laughs> no, it's quite different. It's not magical, really. Uh, I think utopian thinking is very, very real. It's something that um, helps us to build a um, better world. Uh, in other words, it's just political imagination. It's what Mark Fisher wrote a lot, but he, he said that basically we're trapped in, in this, I mean, like, no history. Like what Francis Fukuyama described as the end of history, he took his words back later, but um, we're, we're still kind of trapped into this um, world with that lacks political imagination. And I feel like I suffer from it. My friends suffer from it. Um, let's say on the scale of Russia, when your thinking is intentionally by your political opponents is dumped down to just pure matters of survival, it's really difficult for you to think about what's going to happen next. What is the society we want to see after? And then they come after you for this exact thing. They tell you, oh, you don't have a positive agenda. Well, it's kind of difficult when you're getting arrested every single day, harassed, your fingers are being broken, like it just happened with this journalist who were reporting uh, on gay rights in Chechnya. Her fingers were broken, her head is shaved, she was threatened uh, murder. Um, so it's a, but through, it doesn't matter how difficult it is, you still have to keep this in you for... Um, for a few reasons, because if you don't have a vision of the future, then um, you're not an effective activist and you just simply resist, which is important, but then you, you lack this vision. Mm. Well, important, important decisions um, will need to be made at some point. And if you don't have this vision, then you're not, you will fail um, making them. Another reason is uh, shared vision brings unity, and I feel like this lack of shared unity, uh, of shared vision, really kills a lot of amazing movements. Uh, I've witnessed it in a lot of um, leftist movements that I would love to dearly love, but some of them just like, really trapped into, I don't know, whose clit is bigger and um, who is more um, enlightened and who is not enlightened enough. Uh, so I feel like once we have this clarity of the future that we want to reach together, we, uh, we're much less prone to enter, um, to, to just struggle between us and uh, we, we deal with the common enemy, I guess. Which is which are different things. It can be system. It can be Putin. So I saw it on the example of Putin. So uh, Putin is such a powerful common enemy for different groups of opposition in Russia. I feel like we like we definitely still struggle a lot with understanding, but we have much greater unity than I saw uh, within um, Western leftists. Um, and sometimes we can unite with people who are pretty different, pretty different political views. But we know that our common struggle is to make Russia democratic. So we can talk um, and we can like, maybe smash each other's faces in an actual parliament. So um, 
Well, I guess it's important for me to have utopian thinking and political imagination and version of the, the future. So that's what keeps me going. And Putin is just the first step. Uh, I realized that goals of gender equality, climate justice, you know, m- making sure that, well, the global inequality somehow will not bring us, will bring this world to an end, um, are not impossible, at least for my country to reach um, until Putin is gone. Why do you think activism in art has such an impact on the world above any, like any other sort of activism? It feels like artists really are able to connect in in such a unique way. Why do you think that is? I think art is really helpful when you don't have a lot of people and uh, you need to amplify your voice and message. In the beginning of Pussyrat, it, it was just me and Kat and her cat who was pissing in on our, our balaclavas. And with means of art, we were able to create this illusion that we have uh, this big feminist radical movement in Russia, which we, we didn't really have at the time. So then we ended up in jail and this movement really became global. But I think without the, if we didn't use art as our method, we probably would be singled out as just political prisoners and maybe the world would still help us to a certain extent, but they won't be able to identify with us in the way that they did. So basically everyone who you mentioned above, including Aviva, Madonna, Marina Abramovich, Kim Gordon, Patti Smith, Nina Hagen, they became members of Pussy Red. And art creates this additional symbolic layer that that helps people to unite yeah it's really interesting you know i was uh saying to russell the other day that the thing that really struck me about your story is that your childhood like i know that you went to moscow when you were about 17 and you were studying philosophy and it really struck me how young you were because there's something about you that's like a common thread between people from history that have made huge change to the world even going back as far as like joan of arc say who you know you can bring in witchcraft and all kinds of things that were put on her to stop her um, and ultimately to bring about her end. But I was watching this documentary recently by Catherine Ferguson about Sinead O'Connor and about the kind of injustice that happened to her. And also the, the, the way that since childhood, she used to stand up in class and like, you know, speak out against misogyny, speak about speak out about any kind of injustice within the Roman Catholic Church, all kinds of things. And that even though she became a pop star that we all knew, really, Sinead was a political activist. And mm-hmm. it really, it really feels like a common thing in history, particularly with really intelligent, bright, passionate, brave women. And I, and I, and for me, I see you as a as a current kind of you know uh, figure like that. You know, a really strong kind of um, political you know, voice. Is is there something that you, that you remember in your childhood? Like, like, do you think you were always just inclined that way to speak out? Um, first of all, thank you for comparing me with John of Arc. <laughs> no, not honestly. <laughs> that, that's really fucking cute. Um, <laughs> I'm honored. I was brewing this all, sort, uh, all, all thoughts in my head when I was a kid. I didn't really speak out well 
first of all, I didn't know how to speak publicly. I was extremely shy. Um, and the only time when my teacher asked my mom to come by to school to talk to her, um, she um, she told her that I'm not going to make it in life because I'm too shy. And I didn't know how to um, how to talk about my position and thoughts and communicate my feelings. So there was that. <laughs> and then I realized it as a problem as I became uh, a teenager. So I, I worked intentionally on that. I wanted to become a journalist, but I realized that, uh, well, my communication skills are very poor. So I'm just not going to make it as a journalist. And then I went on to study philosophy instead because it's it's more about quiet time with books. But then you still have to talk to people and express your, um, I mean, discuss discuss the text that he read. So that was difficult as well. And then performance art really helped me to learn how to communicate my thoughts and feelings. Um, I always had them, so... I mean, as we all do, but <laughs> I was opinionated deep inside. Um, I became a feminist when I was eight. Um, I became an environmental activist when I was 13 or 14. But it was always difficult for me to communicate it. And I feel like it's a very common thread for uh, for our society, for like really global population of Earths, because people... <laughs> really see the problems they don't know how to communicate it and they don't know to who to communicate it they don't know how to unite how to come together to solve their problems because we we grew cynical atomized and um, we just brew our anger inside us so that was what's happening was happening with me and then i found performance art um, as a great tool for me to to communicate my um, grievances about the world. And it also taught me how to be uh, less shy. And then I was practicing just personal things. Um, it was like almost like brushing my teeth. Uh, things like stealing food from supermarkets. Um, but I was genuinely poor, didn't have anything, was just a student but but it was more than that for me it was like a challenge can i can i do something that i believe is morally fine because it's a big corporation i'm stealing from it's not it's not a person right but but i'm still it's like still being frowned upon so it was a challenge for me can i can do it and i was able to do it for six years lived solely by shoplifting and then i would go to uh, men's restaurants um, when there is a line in women w- women's restaurants and it looks like a, like really small acts but if you repeat them you just learn how to live according to your own or your community's ethical ethical values because I truly didn't see a fucking difference like why can't I go to men's restroom <laughs> like I'm like, seriously it was, it was um, and yeah and and here here I am today, still a bit shy, but I know how to uh, how to communicate. Hopefully, 
And and if you think about your early um, iteration of Pussy Riot, for example, like even the the kind of um, performance uh, costumes, if you like, like the kind of sculptural elements of what you actually wore, like the masks, and there's often been the kind of theme of like soft sculpture in what you do. So like knitting or like very like overtly feminine objects perhaps or like um fake fur or or different you know materials um i know you were inspired by riot girl i know that that whole kind of history from diy music and stuff but was was there an element of like the mask and anonymity that empowered you because i always remember those images of the balaclavas in particular girly girls also were anonymous and um and then zapatistas they were big influence I was growing up as uh, a ultra-globalist kid. I always thought there is a better way to communicate for us as humanity than transnational corporations or Mm. city governments making shady deals like today China and Russia and India. Um, So who else? Uh, Then... In 2011, a Time magazine made a person in a mask, a, a person of the year. And I think it was the first time when anonymous person became a person of the year of um, Time magazine. Wow. And it happened because... Who, who, who was that? A anonymous protester. Because oh, of wow. the... Um, it was the year of the Arab Spring. Right. Then we were part of the... Uh, Antifa, um, anarchist culture in, and community in, in Moscow. And they often were balaclavas. But most of those were, were black. I mean, you can see any footage of black bloc protesters. They, they <laughs> all were black. And so I really loved those guys as a young radical artist um I participate or didn't in some some of the actions uh, <laughs> and then so we decided to wear balaclavas because we wanted to be anonymous express the idea not um our personal egos or histories we wanted to set it aside partly because we had this previous history with Voina collective so if people would know that it's me and cat behind pussy red they would totally just mix mix it up and they pussy red would never happen because they would be like oh this is voina because voina was so much bigger at the time than pussy red pussy red was just this newborn baby that nobody knew about so we had to distance ourselves and and really create an illusion that there is a new movement that is not connected to voina and so that's why we would always um, hide the fact that we would get arrested af- uh, almost after our, every single action because we didn't want the media to um, to know that these are the same people who were behind Voina. We wanted to create mm. um, a perception that there is actually um, a performance art revolution happening in Russia. Um, I guess this is another example of a power of art. And... Um, you rightly noted about the femininity and bright colors um, and 
you know, fuzziness. We wanted to bring this element of, um, I mean, I guess, avert femininity uh, because we didn't want to scare people. If we appeared in black masks in, in the subway, people think we're terrorists or cops. We didn't want that. We, we wanted them to experience joy and join our rebellion. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Yeah, it's amazing. It almost frames it. Well, it does. It frames it in a completely different way to be interpreted so so it's almost more welcoming because it's a it's a scene it's something to look at you know that that's entertaining as well as having a message and i think that's the reason the message can you know reach so many people because it is even the, the recent putin's ashes like film i mean the production values in it are extraordinary it's so yes. impactful how, how do you fund your practice because you know as an as an art collective are you looking at a lot of patrons or do you actually have work that can be acquired by collectors do you consider if 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 someone can actually pay money to acquire a work by you um it's a new practice for Pussyrite. we haven't done it before really um so before that it's mostly it was mostly us performing um a concert venue or something and then channeling this money back into art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found OnlyFans at some point. So that was oh, yeah. um, pretty useful. Oh, OnlyFans. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nadia has OnlyFans. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, so, there's a link on um, on her Instagram, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, political art doesn't bring you a lot of money. So um, sex work really helped me to stay away from other annoying jobs and focus purely on my art. So uh, contrary to a lot of people would believe about sex work, it really helps me to focus on what I think is the the key um, feminist, radical, explosive art. And it pays for my bills. And there's also a new development, um, physical artworks. Yeah. Uh, we uh, since the beginning of uh, Putin's Ashes, we, we started to material materialize um, our practice into physical items, and it happened a lot because I was watching um, how Marina Abramovich um, carries her practice. She talks a lot about immateriality of performance art, but then she works with relics um, and. I mean, obviously photographs, but 
relics um, are really important for me. So I was like, thinking about how, how can I create something physical? And I was going against it for um, almost all my, throughout all my practice. I wanted to keep it purely material. But then in my interaction with Judy Chicago mm-hmm. really pushed me towards materiality because she talks a lot about um, you know, archiving your own work and leaving the trace behind and working on your own legacy. And I just realized at some point that none of the shit that I've done as Pusseret belongs to me. <laughs> the videos, photos, um, they belong to documentators. So I only can claim the idea, but what is it? We unfortunately don't believe in, don't don't live in the world where ideas um i guess put on museum shelves mm. so um there's this working with um a reality of this material world that we're living in right now so long story short i do have um physical artworks and um you can see them a lot in my instagram um i work with textile textile because um because of two reasons i um for for thousands of years it was uh looked down upon as primarily uh female low Mm. art craft and i try to bring it back to the realm of the fine arts so i work with fur um fox fox fur and vegan so only fox fur um Oh, faux, F-A-U-X. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I was like, oh, oh faux fur. Faux yeah, fur. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, you said I, I, For a minute, I thought you meant like vintage fox Yeah, that's fur what I was thinking. Something. <laughs> that's what, faux fur. Oh, no. Fur. So faux fur yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And um, and then the second reason why I use textile is because I was forced to sew polystyrene farms when I was in jail. Um, so I want to turn this... Um, instrument because a tool of oppression that was used against me into something positive and i feel like it's just a common thread in my practice um so yeah you can witness these artworks <laughs> no, i mean i mean i think it's just incredible what you've achieved nadia and i mean do, do you feel because the world is watching you and do you feel powerful do you feel like you are making a change do you, do you is this is this a, a, th- a tangible emotion that you can hold on to it's a good question um i should feel more of it because i think the more powerful we feel the more powerful we get uh, it's i describe my life and my practice as um this fight of two vectors one is despair ptsd depression anxiety lack of believing your effort like in your power imposter syndrome imposter complex that is specifically typical for a lot of women unfortunately Hmm. so have all of that lack of confidence and then the second one the second vector is you know, it's willpower, rejecting of fear, desire for change, and this 
force just keeps me moving forward. And every day is a struggle between these two opposite forces that pull me in different directions. And so I think my answer would really depend on if if I was if today I was um, successful enough in fighting this terrible vector of despair and you know everything that is stopping me from from achieving uh, from achieving my potential and fulfilling my goals. Um, things that really help me to lean into the positive vector is my community. Whenever I connect to people and I see and I've witnessed by what amazing people I'm surrounded by. So you asked me how we were able to do Putin's Ashes. How were we able to fund it? Well, it was, I believe, a couple of thousand bucks that went mostly to materials for um, for Putin's Ashes. Um, then renting renting a truck and... So it was around fifteen hundred or maybe twenty, um, twenty hundred dollars. Then everyone else contributed for free because they believed in the idea, and it's it really happens rare. Um, and whenever I witness it, I realize that oh, there is actual power behind this movement. It's incredible. I was going to say, when did you first? I've been looking up where you were born, and I mean the town where you're from. Nor I think it's pronounced Norilsk, and it's um, actually I had no idea. It's far north of Siberia, and it is actually um, a, a no entry. It's a closed city. It's called. You have to have permission to enter it. It has no roads to connect it to Russia, and this is where you were born. This is where you were raised until I think the age of seventeen, and you went to Moscow. But how did how did you find art in that city and 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 feminism and and what what was it like that energy of growing up in a place like that which is actually also on the record as the second worst city in the world for pollution it's <laughs> it's just like insane and that's where you were born and brought up how did you find this strength and this passion and is there a lot of energy there towards art and activism and you know getting out. Not much when I was growing up. I think it did change. I am in touch with some people from Norilsk who were organizing anti-Putin demonstrations a couple of years ago when it was still um, not a death sentence to organize um, an anti-Putin demonstration like this today. It was a difficult environment to grow uh, grow up in. Um, I think probably my strength grew despite of the uh, despite of my surroundings and it it really describes me a lot as a person. I'm really stubborn and really persistent. and if somebody tells me that something is impossible, I really really want to uh, make it happen. So for the most part people in Norilsk want to leave the city. Nobody wants to stay there long time, a long term, but most of them still have to just because of e- the economic conditions. People cannot afford to move out of the city and start a new life from scratch. So 
people leave their, as we described it, on the boxes. We <laughs> prepare to leave and just run away at any given moment, but this moment never comes. So it's like, it's a very surreal and, and very absurdist sitting that way. So it's like waiting for Godot. Mm. <laughs> never comes. <laughs> and so it, it really brought me to loving um, existentialism. I know it's a common thread among teenagers. I think it's um, it's even more common thread among teenagers in Norilsk because the city is incredibly depressing. It's um, nine months of winter. Around <laughs> around three months of polar winter. And you cannot walk in the streets. You, you cannot really go out because there is no much to do, or at least when I was growing up. Uh, so I retreated in books, and books were my saving grace. Mm. And when uh, friends of my parents would be like, oh my God, Nadia's so cute, she's reading all the time she's so smart i didn't feel like i was smart because i was reading i felt like i was just saving my ass because what else what else can you do and um you have an epitome of uh hard drugs and alcohol addiction in the city because it's just so depressing people don't see any hope for themselves and so a lot of kids start drinking and doing drugs from a really early age. So as a kid, you're really faced with a couple of choices. You can retreat in drugs or you can retreat in books. And I, I chose books. And then I moved out when I was 16, really. Um, when I was 16, I, I jumped on a plane to Moscow. I told my mom that I'm going to buy the plane tickets. It doesn't matter if she allows me or not because I collected money from my school lunches. I collected it for years because I knew that my mom was like, super against me living um, living in the city and living home when I was 16. Um, but I told her, well, if you want it or not, it's just going to happen. And I came to Moscow, entered Moscow State University, got accepted, by some sort of miracle among eight best students. I don't know, still don't know how it happened. I think um, as um, someone described it to me the other day, I live enchanted life, I guess. So I'm I'm, I'm extremely lucky when it's really important for me to get lucky. And yeah, then then the new chapter of my life started. When did you first see art? When was the first artwork you saw, or, or did you, what? What was the like? Was there a museum where you were from at all, or was there? What was the first museum you went to in Moscow? So the second half of my answer, I guess, like the first one was that I'm stubborn. So I <laughs> I started to do art despite of the conditions, and so the second one, and it's necessary because otherwise I I won't be fair to my parents. So. My parents, because of my parents, I um, became really interested in art. Um, my dad and mom, um, both artistic in their own ways. Um, they separated since I'm five, but they both both contributed to me a growing interest in arts. My dad um, 
um, taught me differences um, in uh, Rococo and Barocco in architecture when I was four. And uh, if you show um, pictures of Rococo versus Barocco um, buildings to four years old Nadia, she would say the difference. I swear <laughs> I won't be able to see the difference now, but back in the day I was able to do it. <laughs> and um, when I was four, five, three even, I didn't like to have those naps. You know, they always force kids to have naps and kids, kids hate them. So I would just um, take books, sneak out to the bookshelf, take the book and then go through albums with, with art. And my grandmother had a lot of them. So I think it was really my surroundings and the role that my parents played. And then my dad started to bring me to museums. Um, he brought me to every single Moscow museum. Um, and we would travel to St. Petersburg to go to Hermitage oh, yeah. and other museums. So, and I have to say, um, as a 10 years old, I don't, I didn't give a flying fuck about all of that. I was just like, well, this looks really old and boring. And mm. I don't understand why I have to go here to look at this fucking wallpaper. I'm tired of one own ice cream. And my dad would be just like, well, I will just have to. It's like, you don't have a choice right now. And, and you're stupid because you don't want to look at it. And I really loved my dad. And I didn't want him to think that I'm stupid. So I, I just obeyed. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really interesting. So you were kind of subconsciously, you know, via your dad's introduction, uh, creating a visual understanding of different cultural references. It's it's a very rich history, really. And he also would bring me to uh, different cultural and religious buildings, um, you know, a Catholic church, synagogue, mosques. And it was... I mean, my, my dad is a, an absolute maniac. And, and I think this it's really informed who who I am um, because I didn't think I would go to perform in um, Cathedral of Christ the Savior if, with, if it didn't visit all of these different um, churches when I was a kid. And I have an early interaction with um, this cathedral I think also played a role. So when it just opened, it was year 2000, I believe. I was 10. Um, we we were in Moscow with my dad and we tried to go to this newly opened cathedral. And they didn't let me go because I was wearing shorts. And I was a kid. So like, how do you even explain why, why do you censor, censor a kid? Um, mm. Because it's like it's it's weird. It's almost perverse. Because I guess the reason, because they want to de-sexualize people, like they want them to cover themselves. But like, why do you ask such a thing of a kid? Um, so that felt really weird to me. Then we went to the store nearby, Achutneret. Um, we bought me pair of jeans, and uh, we went to the church. Uh, but my first impression was like, oh. It, that's weird. It's, they're really not welcoming. They're censoring um, 
kids. It is weird. Yeah. That is weird. So weird. So if if you if we go back to the church, so that was obviously the performance where um the Russian government decided to prosecute you and you ended up having the eventual imprisonment. During the time you were imprisoned, I know you had hunger strike, um, you had all these kind of hideous um, things that you you were faced with. But was there in your mind, did you, did you have to like totally stop thinking about art for that period of time because of the everyday experience? Or did you hold on to, you know, trying to keep that space in your head? I tried my best. Um was not always easy. It was easier in the um, so-called pre-trial detention because uh, then you sit in a cell. That is, n- it's not a perfect experience, but the good side of it is that you could read. And I didn't have a whole bunch of books for for around six months. I had only Bible, and <laughs> but I, I read it. Like multiple times so now I can talk to like all sorts of conservative people and be just like oh shut the fuck up because like, <laughs> you don't really understand what, what is going on in the bible so let me tell you I'm that annoying feminist <laughs> <laughs> but me you know you can just sit there and write then all of your writings are going to be taken away from you um, because that so you only can keep the freedom of your imagination and your thinking when you're stripped down from physical freedom. And all oh, this is not what I said. This is what Jesus Christ and Apostle Paul said <laughs> in different words. But anyway, um, but um, your um, prison wardens, they know about it as well. So they try to strip you down from the uh, like elements of freedom of thought and imagination that you have so they don't give you books or they take away your drawings or pieces of writing that you did and that really hurt but uh, I still was able to write some things down then I was moved to a penal colony which is basically a labor camp because the structure of it didn't really change since the gulag times obviously uh, conditions improved since then but the attitude to uh, to prisoner and the fact that prisoner is basically just free labor to exploit didn't change um and then it's a place where you have to work really like almost 24 7 so you work at the factory then you come back to your barrack and you have to they send you to dig a trench or like all sorts of this really heavy physical tasks that they make you to do. So in the end of the day, you're just so exhausted. You don't have any thoughts and you lose the sense of reality and you lose the sense of self. And that was the time that I really got depressed. I really, I realized that I don't care anymore what's going to happen with me. I'm really just a shell of my former self and this body that is left alive for some reason. My mind died. And it took me years to to really come back from, from that place. And I really remember those days when it just struck me for the first time because like, I was so physically exhausted that I didn't really understand the reason why I would just keep 
being alive anymore, just going through the motions. And I think it was the time when really the trauma that I'm still dealing with really set in. And it was this sense of disconnectedness from the world, sense of that you being completely powerless and your life having no meaning whatsoever. And it takes a trigger to bring me back to that state these days. And it really stripped down my art from a lot of this raw passion and power that I used to have prior to jail. So today, I think I'm getting better at it. So, I mean, just <laughs> thousands of thousands of hours of introspection and uh, all sorts of techniques um, really helped me, but also years, I guess. But yeah, I came out of jail, completely different person. I was much more fearful, anxious, um, not confident in what I'm doing. I was still trying to project it outwards because the whole world was watching and I couldn't let them down because they believed in us and they believed in our mission. But it was like its own kind of torture because when I got out of jail and I had, I, I went to this like world stages to talk about the future and you know what I I wanted to give them this utopian thinking or version of the future that I want to see, but right. I, I didn't find anything in me. I didn't have any resource. I I was really dead inside. And yeah, it probably took around 10 years for me to come to the place where I'm at, um, where I'm at today, feeling much better. And I feel like, I kind of feel like, like I used to feel when I was 21, when we were starting Pussy Right and feeling that everything is possible. Wow. Right. But I think I think you must have to recover from the PTSD of the whole situation and also just, you know, for everybody, like, you know, I've watched films of you talking with Amnesty and, you know, you can hear in the audience, like there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who who have kind of almost followed your story for for all of that period through through the whole of your incarceration through through you being freed and and then all of your artistic career but for those people they didn't have that that daily reality that you experienced and it's it's such a long recovery isn't it and that's almost part of the punishment somehow that they that you know the evilness of, of what russian government did to you you know it's like it takes away a lot of that 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 strength you had but i'm so glad to see you you know recovering and able to continue to share because you're incredible you are such a light of hope for all of us so important my god you're so important you're you are a historical figure you are going to be written about you are being written about it's you are you're what the world needs and thank you so much stop your boys (laughs) don't make me blush (laughs) another thing i was really struggling when i got out of jail by the way um i mean like today is just makes me smile and it's like really cute and I really um, have strength to appreciate what you just said. So when I heard these words and I got out of jail and I was 25 and I felt like my life is still starting and people would be just like, oh, you're a historical figure. I'm like, oh, it feels like people are talking to this cardboard version of me because I, I, didn't, I didn't, couldn't connect with that, especially like it being fresh out of jail so I was just like yesterday I was sewing police uniforms and military uniforms in my 
uh, factory. And today I'm hearing this for Jisuku's like a major disconnect. So yeah. it also, and it's a weird thing to complain about people's support, but still, <laughs> I don't, I just I generally try to avoid being a political prisoner. It sucks. <laughs> I guess yeah. that, that's the biggest takeaway from it. But also, look, I, sometimes you just have to do it. We had to do it. And looking at people like, Navalny, um, and how he goes through it with grace and power and wit and, and, and smile and irony and strength. It really puts everything in perspective and just makes me realize that I'm, I'm a part of the movement that will hopefully change Russia. It's not going to happen overnight. And the further we go with Putin, the more destructed Russia is and the more deteriorated every institution and every mind of a Russian person. So we lose possibility for speed recovery for Russia every single day, especially with this terrible war that Putin started. But we have great people like Navalny and like other friends of mine who went to jail, like Ilya Yashin, Mikhail Krieger, and people I don't know, um, like Sasha Skachilenka, who's a girl who just put anti-war stickers on the shelf of supermarket in the beginning of the war, and now she went to jail for, um, I think, something around 10 years. She experiences wow. health problems. Still doesn't give up, um, sends readings, to um, people from from inside of jail. And so being part of this makes me feel like all the traumas and you know, mental health issues that I experienced there, um, well, they serve the bigger purpose. And though it does suck when you experience it, well, there's no simple way of changing history. And, and, and it never was you mentioned Joan of Arc earlier, and even though I did not equate myself with her, but <laughs> just having role models in front of you like, exactly. like her, it, it's just like yes. well, she she got to be burned at the stake, and it definitely sucked at the moment. But you know now she she did change the history, and maybe at the moment she felt this thought, maybe she was like, oh, maybe it all was for nothing, maybe oh, I'm just being burned right now, but then hopefully right before she died, she went back to the thought, no, I know that it is going to change the course of history and I'm going to inspire thousands and hundreds of thousands of young women to speak speak up their minds. Yeah, exactly that, wow. yeah. I met a Ukrainian artist uh, during the beginning of the kind of recent more escalation of the war in the past year or so. And they, they came to Margate and she was really adamant she wanted to go back to the Ukraine and make work there because even though there's, you know, the threat there of being bombed and, and all of that um, and the reality of the everyday war there, she just really felt like she had to be there to make her art on the ground in the Ukraine. Um, how do you feel about Russia now? Like, because I know you're not in Russia. Um, do you ever think you'll be able to go back there? Do you have a desire to go back there or, or do you think it's safer and better for you to be able to make work internationally and then help in that way? Well, 
technically, I call myself geographically anonymous. So um, technically speaking, I cannot confirm or deny where I'm at if I'm in Russia or outside of Russia. I can talk about a general feeling that Russian activists have. So we're being split into categories currently, and one is bigger than another, I think. Most of the uh, prominent voices had to leave Russia because otherwise they would have they would have to be jailed. So you're either outside of Russia or you're you're in jail. There is another group of people who um, feel like it's important to stay in Russia. If you don't want to get jailed, then you kind of forced to take a step back and. So the way they go around it is they talk about smaller issues, like they work with homeless people, they, and all sort of very important, but like more local issues without talking about the bigger picture, because talking about the war, Putin will land you in jail in no time. Yeah, immediately, it, yeah. They feel it's important to make this humanitarian work and stay on the ground to... And obviously, quietly, they still communicate with each other. They have this, as we called them in Soviet times, kitchen conversations um, with their phone offs. Um, I think both strategies are super valid and important. And we need to realize that it will, it will take years, dozens of years, perhaps, to restore Russia and We'll need both people who were being like really vocal and promoting the positive vision for Russia, um, being like with, with no self self censorship inflicted by being in Russia, like members of um, Navalny's collective, like Maria Pevchich um, or Krista Grozev. If you've seen Navalny documentary, mm. I think it's a great example of this good propaganda <laughs> mm. because we show people that there are Russians who were fighting with Putin for dozens of years and not all Russians support the war, not all Russians loyal to Putin. But also it's important for, for, for us to continue this groundwork so those people who bravely choose to stay in Russia and and continue no matter no matter what um, are doing maybe even more important job than than people who made Navalny documentary. <laughs> wow, way. Yeah. Well, no, this is incredible. We're now going to go on to our final questions, which seem kind of like <laughs> really like superfluous to what we've been discussing, but it's tradition, talk art, to ask these questions at the end. And the first one that we ask everyone is, if you could do an art heist, you could steal nicely any work of art from wherever it is in the world for yourself to live with, what would it be and why? And still a dinner party. You'd steal a dinner party? Judy Chicago's? Yeah. Ah, Judy Chicago's dinner party. Tell me, but tell me about this artwork. It's an installation um, made by Judy Chicago and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, um, and it brings um, back history of women who were forgotten by the patriarchal history. It's a table um, with 
39 plates. Every plate is unique. They resemble vaginas. Um, every tablecloth is unique as well to the figure um, that, that we're talking about. And I guess you just should go to Brooklyn Museum of Art and, and take a look at that um, artwork. It's going to be better than me trying to explain it. But yeah, it's an incredible, incredible artwork. And GD Chicago obviously is a collaborator of yours recently, but um, is also just an icon. I mean, I adore Judy. Mm. And really, her work has inspired so many artists mm. over the past kind of however many decades. So I think that was made in 1979. And pretty much every single decade since, there is an artist who has referenced it. Um, and even an artist I work with here in Margate, who Nadia, I think you'd actually love. Um, she's called Lindsay Mendick. She did a show called Off With Her Head, which also looked at the history of the way that women have been silenced um, over, you know, uh, thousands of years. And um, yeah, it's just a really powerful work. I love that one. The other question we ask every guest um, is, what is your favourite colour? Baby pink. Baby pink. And why baby pink? <laughs> I like the way you said that, baby pink, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. And, well, so I'm the only person, apparently, who Marina Abramovic um, lets bring baby pink around her and um, while her not being mad at them because she doesn't like baby pink. <laughs> she thinks it's stupid and childish. And I explained to her why I like it because, and I, I like this Hello Kitty backpacks and all sorts of cute stuff. And she was like, but why? She wears black, mm -hmm. red, like elements of white. And she really, this bald, beautiful queen and like none of this cute bullshit. Mm. So I explained to her like when I, I'm just always prepared to get arrested because when I'm in Russia, uh, sometimes I'm arrested multiple times a day and, um, when cops arrest me, I want them to look stupid. So if I'm this cute little girl um, that a drag, like five big cops drag into um, a, a prison bus, then they look look stupid. And so they call like, okay, well, it makes sense. Then you can wear a baby pink. <laughs> I love that. Brilliant. What, what's the best oh. advice you've ever received from anyone when it comes to your art and your art practice? Don't live within a lie. Don't live within a lie. Wow. And an example of that, why that was given to you as advice? Um, because I think originally, is it a phrase by Solzhenitsyn, I believe, but it was, uh, it was told to me by uh, Prigov, who is a Russian artist um, who I really adored as a teenager. So I went to Moscow partly to find him and become his apprentice, which turned out he didn't need to have an apprentice, but I still got to talk to him. And I was just like, can you give me an advice? And that's what he told me. And after that, we got to collaborate with him. But unfortunately, he died on the um, on the way to the performance that we were about to do together. 
So I was um, 17 and I took it as a sign that now I'm an adult because like my parent figure, art parent figure died literally on the way to performance, doing performance with me. So now I have to take full responsibility. Wow. Wow, that's heavy. God, I'm so sorry. Um, this has just been incredible. I'm, I'm just in awe and so deeply um, grateful for your generosity of spending this hour and a half with us and talking so yeah. openly and beautifully. Nadia, thank you, thank you. To, to, to close this episode, can we quickly just talk about your most recent work of 2023, which was This Art is a Hammer that Shapes Reality, and it's a series of 23 works. Just because I feel like the fact that that work in itself is in 23 parts, you know, if you think about Judy Chicago's piece being 32, um, can you speak a bit about that, that work just before we close? This Hammer Shapes Reality, um, because I believe that um, for me, Art for the art's sake is not is never enough. I don't mind other people doing it because in the end of the story, people can do whatever fuck they want. But um, I like to do art that has a meaning apart from being just a beautiful thing. And those things are still really beautiful and they're, they're really pretty. But also at the same time, every work has a statement. It's a marriage between conceptual art and beautiful design that also has <laughs> that also has a meaning because um, I work with textile and so bringing back what we discussed before it brings back my jail labor but also so-called low crafts um, textile made by women historically um, and I use a lot of spare parts of sewing machine and needles in this work because it was a dream of mine when I was in jail. I was working in the factory and our equipment was so old. I would, would always be in their need of spare parts. But then I would come to the prison warden and ask him to give me spare parts. And he would be like, "Do you did you forget where you are? And I said, what do you mean? And he, was, he went like, well, you're in Russia. I go, okay, fucking makes sense. Thank you so much for being helpful. And they, they never had new parts for me. And needles, needles, I I never was given new needles. So as a newcomer, I had to find needles on the floor thrown by other prisoners who used them already. So they were all dull. And I had dreams about getting new sets of needles and spare sewing machine parts to only wake up to reality of me not having them. So um, when I was working on this latest series, I realized that, oh, I can make my dream come true. So I just ordered, pushed the button on my phone, ordered a bunch of sewing machine parts and like really a lot of needles. And I received them, opened them, felt incredibly happy because it's just something visceral within me like I wanted oh yes I really wanted them and now finally I have them and I use them as for creating these abstractions on um on this textile canvases that I created so all of this abstractions that you see there they're not 
they're not ju just there for no reason. Um, they're all created from from different sewing materials. And it, this series also features a lot of spilled um, red acrylic paint. That yeah, which that. obviously looks like blood. <laughs> and it all derives from the work I've done a few years ago. I was working with my prison uh, freedom certificate. They gave it to me when I got out of jail um, and features my photo being really tired and worn after two years in jail. And they gave it to me. And I had it ever since. I have to keep it legally um, as a Russian citizen who's been in jail. I have to just keep it. I cannot lose it. Just have to keep it. Otherwise, I won't be able to travel. So I was thinking, what can I do with it? Because it was just like a very ha heavy document. They hated. And so I decided to spill my blood in it. So I spilled my actual blood on that certificate. But for further works that derive from this. I didn't want to spill actual blood because I don't think self-harm um, is a good idea. Don't advise anyone to do it. So I was working with just acrylic. And so these splashes resemble blood that was spilled after I would get injured while um, while working in my labor camp. Wow. And there's also incredible um, text pieces, which obviously li link to the conceptual art side. And there's things like this art is proof that you are Pussy Riot with all of these um, bears, which are kind of, uh, you know, attached with um, staples kind of referencing punk, I guess. But it also made me think about, you know, songs by Hole like Doll Parts or Sonic Youth album covers designed by Mike Kelly. There's so many like references mm, all the way Mike through Kelly, the work. Definitely. Um, my favorite is this art rejects fear. I was like, yes. You Thank know, you. It's just, it's it just so inspiring. Song Christie's auction. Yes, I heard. And it's gone to a really huge American collector, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from Canada originally, uh, based in Switzerland right now, Ryan Zerer. Yeah. And this art was not made by a successful white male. <laughs> with with very um, sharp needles. There's no blunt ne needles anymore. The work is full of sharp needles. So there we go. Well, Nadia, thank you so much. You are an inspiration. We love yeah. you. And I really hope I get to give you a very big hug one day. Um, it'll be an honor to meet you in person. But um, Yes, I want to meet you in person one day. <laughs> and um, for everyone listening, you can see until the 20th of July, Nadia's incredible exhibition, which is on um, at Container in Santa Fe. We'll be connecting with them as well on Instagram. You can also follow Nadia. What's your Instagram handle? Nadia Riot. Nadia Riot um, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we'll be back very soon. Nadia, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, we love you. And uh, we'll be thank back you, very guys. soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you, okay. Nadia. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.